0: Pucks with Hags is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. And welcome to another edition of the Pucks with Hags podcast. Uh, I believe this is the 20th episode of the Pucks with Hags podcast. Let's uh, cut the ribbons, send out the balloons, have big party celebrations. Uh, First thing I want to do before I introduce our guest today, uh, Mick Collagio, is, as always, give a little love to our sponsors um, first, we've got FanDuel Sportsbook, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Network. We're always happy that they're riding shotgun with us. And the other one today, as always, look at this, Factor Meals. Not only a pitchman, also a client. Uh, I had the, uh, let's see, what what was it? The Indian butter chicken for lunch today. Uh, fantastic, delicious. Uh, took two minutes in the microwave. Uh, dietitian approved. It's uh, cooked by chefs, two minutes in the micro, no fuss, no muss. It was delicious. Uh, So go to Factor Meals, use HAG's 50 code to get 50% off. Uh, Thank you, Factor Meals, for being a sponsor. And now let's get to our guest uh, from the Standard Times, longtime hockey writer, Mick Collagio. And today we're going to talk about Patrice Bergeron, in light of the retirement announcement, in light of the press conference that he had with all the reporters at the Garden uh, on Wednesday. And, and really, I wanted Mick on because Mick was one of those people on the ground floor with number 37, just like me, and just like a, a few lucky select others uh, on the Bruins beat that were actually uh, there covering Patrice Bergeron in 0304 4 when he was an 18-year-old kid uh, fresh from Quebec. And uh, just make, just what was going through your mind when you, you know, you watched the press conference, when you heard he was going to retire. Um, What sort of were your immediate thoughts just about, you know, having covered this guy hall of famer from the beginning of his career to the end.
1: I think um, I think watching Berge play center for the Providence Bruins in the lockout year and looking forward to him coming back to Boston and that role, which didn't really come to fruition until the trade, Joe Thornton, yep. uh, started out on the wing again. And, you know, as the Bruins were trying to somehow put together a team. And I think that missing the NHL, Bergeron sort of became the epicenter of that by watching him in Providence in the middle, negotiate the middle of the ring, getting to see how good he is as a centerman, seeing the chemistry he had with brad boys and just looking at the way that that he was coming along and and uh, and really gaining an appreciation because he's not that player who jumps over the boards and the first two strides you say oh my god he isn't that's not what he does he 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 wins you over through a series of of games of watching him think the game play the game decide how to play the game both sides of the puck with his teammates and and it just all grew from there so it's just been so many ups and downs and so much life lived with this guy and including the uh, career-threatening concussion that he sustained in the first Claude Julian year early on um, there's just so much there that happened that led up to the Stanley Cup and when it finally came you know it just seemed like his role just grew from there and and I think that I just feel like this guy's sort of been part of my life yep just like when you when you when you snip off 20 years and you say okay I've been obsessed with the Bruins since the mid-60s right right before Orr got there um I started really getting into it and um hockey fan first black and gold bleeder second and um, but Bergeron is just one of those rare players who's come along and uh, and sort of just become synonymous with with my my sense of who the Bruins are and 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 who they are in my life <laughs> you know? yep. so for me letting go of Bergie at this point it's going to leave a huge hole and I'm not sure it's fully sunk in yet
0: no, uh, I mean it's going to sink in when we go to training camp and we're in the locker room and he's not there, you know, and he's right, he's not the guy that's uh, present whenever uh, you know we have questions about the team, whether things are going well or things are going bad. Like that's when it's going to hit, uh, and that's going to be weird for me. Like my first year covering the team was his rookie season, that o three o four season. So I, I, I have not known what it's like to cover the Boston Bruins when Patrice Bergeron's not there. Even if he was a younger player in a, you know, and and this is part of what I guess I think of whenever I think of him as an elder Statesman, uh, a father of four, one of the faces of the NHL, a hall of famer is I always think back to that rookie year. And I think back to a shy kid with peach fuzz that really was not sure about his English at all. You know, it really didn't say much at all. Uh, Mm -hmm. and was really, you know, just sort of happy to be there. What nobody thought, a second-round pick that year was going to make the team, and all of a sudden, he I, comes to I
1: totally caught me off guard. I wasn't no. ready for that. I had to be told, "Hey, he's really good. You should watch him. He's going to make the team, really." And 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 it took me time to figure out why he's so good. Well, I because that's, not, just cause that's kind of unheard of, of.
0: Like, what second-round pick makes the NHL as an eighteen-year-old after he's drafted? Like that doesn't happen. You know, like that's a rarity to see something like that happen, especially. Uh, you know, a a kid that you really haven't heard much about. But, like, I I also remember, distinctly remember uh, Mike Sullivan, whenever you would ask him about Bergeron that entire year, he would get that funny smirk on his face like he knew something. He was in on a secret that, you know, nobody else knew about, like how good that kid was going to be. He knew immediately and early and often saying his praises. And, you know, you could tell he saw – what he was going to turn into if he was like that as an 18-year-old kid. And you know now he's become, obviously, leg- legendary player, Stanley Cup winner, record holder in the NHL, Hall of Famer, like all that Richard stuff.
1: Medalist. <laughs> yeah. but, but I think I Sully... It, it's funny how, it took, how people in different layers, it takes them to come around. Um, I, I remember uh, so many people putting together their Team Canada for the Olympics and having Bergeron outside the to top 12. Yeah, and they're and they're surprised, they're out of shock that he's on Crosby's line, and then the revelation that they got watching, and I remember Damian Cox tweeting, um, Toronto Star columnist, tweeting his amazement. Bergeron always makes the right play. Yeah, you no, know, it's, yeah. it's yeah, like it's, he was just you know, discovering like, it until you watch him a lot, you don't really get it. Right. And then you start wanting to only view the Bruins through that prism. Now we have to view it outside of that prism. That's going to be hard. It's going to remind me what it was like as a fan to think of the Bruins after Bobby Orr, uh, after Ray Bork. Uh, you know, certain people that come along that, that are so impactful and so consistent and so much smack in the middle of the game. They're the engine that runs the game. And they're the engine that provides the team its identity. And then they're gone. And now there's a reinvention that must occur. Yeah. Is there a passing of the torch? Is there a mantle? Is there a culture? Can it continue? Of course it always has. But uh, when I think of how rudderless the Bruins were without after Ray Bork, I'm, I'm, you know, it concerns me uh, with this guy, not because there aren't other great guys and players and leaders and stuff that, that are deserving of, of, you know, carrying it forward. It's just that, this guy was so impactful so consistent so passionate so present that it's just uh it's hard to imagine the bruins without number 37 out there now I've been through this before um yep the sun will come up the, you know, <laughs> the black and gold'll take the ice they'll have a centennial season um and we'll you know I'm grateful to have lived long enough to have uh been in a position here where I'm anticipating this next difficult phase of Bruins hockey.
0: Yeah. And it's going to be interesting. I mean, from Bergeron's perspective, just uh, first of all, at the press conference, uh, that seemed like a guy totally at ease with his decision, completely happy, like at peace, like knows what he's doing, knows the decision he's making has thought it through and is completely okay with it. And, and I thought it was interesting Uh, That sounds like he's going to be a little removed from the Bruin situation next year, as he probably will have to be, you know, kind of coming to terms with the retirement and all that. I I don't think we're going to see him much at the garden. I don't, you know, he's, I don't think he's going to watch many games and maybe watch a few, but I I think he's going to go pursue other things like he's wanted to for a long time. And I thought all of that stuff when he was talking about that and being excited about other things in his life and obviously spending way more time with his family um having you know four kids that are like age seven and under um that stuff I thought was really interesting to me like you know he knew it was time and it was he was totally okay with it when you talk to other players like Sean Thornton who was like you know I remember him saying they're gonna have to tear the jersey off of me like to keep me from playing anymore and ultimately that kind of did happen for him where there's just going to be no room for him anywhere but a completely different side of the coin for Bergeron that I think speaks to like the person that he is and part of what made him great was his approach to all of these things.
1: Yeah, I think so too. He was completely immersed. He allowed the game to come to him and sort of reinvented himself. There are great creative players who come along in life, whether it's Adam Oates or Mark Savard or, you know, players who invent hockey as they see it, as they play it, they wind up impacting the game and other players learn from them and take new things so it isn't just he does all these things well and checks all these boxes because this is what scouts want this guy got out there and felt the game and and i think because of that um you know we enjoyed an era of bruins hockey where we could sort of feel it with him
0: and his game i mean it, you know we talk about his game and we we all agree not the fastest guy, not the strongest guy, although he did, he won almost all of his battles. So there was definitely a, plenty of strength there, but we're not talking about a big hitter. And certainly he he modified his game where he really wasn't hitting much of anybody after, um, you know, after that hit he took uh, in 07, 08 that wiped him out for the season. And that was a kind of a big transformation point for him in the kind of the way he played, no question about it. Uh, but we're not talking about, you know, the most physical guy, the fastest guy, the most skilled guy in a lot of ways. But I think he's had a huge influence on players in Boston, youth players and something he wanted to be a role model for on and off the ice on the ice. Like it was about playing the right way. It was about hustling on the back check. It was about paying attention to details in the faceoff circle. It was about practicing the spots you were going to get to in the offensive zone where you were going to do your damage and becoming perfect. And, you know, hundred percent deadly from those areas, you know, from the slot when he was shooting the buck but like you see generations now of kids that play and they play center and they play the game the right way and they're not cheating the zone and they're not flying out and they're not taking off going the other way when the puck is in their zone, because they watched uh, Patrice Bergeron, you know, play his entire career, doing things the right way and making sure he was playing at both ends. And like, that's going to be part of his legacy is the amount of local players that have come out of new England that play the Bergeron way because they watched him for so long with my, my son being one of them. Now, you know, he plays center and he, He is a two-way player that plays defense because he watched 37, you know, the last four or five years. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. To your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy
1: price, price line. I think if there's a statue for Bergeron, it should have two parts. One is him out on the ice playing, and the other is kid sitting on the bench watching, yep. and his father's hand on his shoulder and pointing. Yep. And and uh this is. You know, such a great part of the game that that uh, that's going to be missed here. You know, I mean, the Bruins have been blessed to have some really incredible and diverse personalities reinventing the game of hockey before our very eyes. I remember Cap Rader calling me up one morning after he was out of Pete Bruins game scouting for the San Jose Sharks, and he's like, "Hey, I was just there watching this kid craichi him and Vukcevic." <laughs> They're going to be good. They're yeah. going to be NHLers. That preachy, <laughs> he can play right now. And, you know, <laughs> wound up getting his cup of coffee and got, you know, knocked yep. into uh, uh, Palookaville by Adam <laughs> Pear, yep. um, yep. you know, staring down at the puck in the crease. And, but the next year he triumphantly began his NHL career, and he went on to become a guy who led the playoffs in scoring in two different years. Andre Kopitar, I think, is the only other one to do that in this era. Maybe Crosby, yep. I'm not sure. Uh, but, but you know, to have two guys like that who sat kitty corner in the old version of the uh, TD Garden Fleet Center uh, locker room, you know, they each had a corner of it. They shared that corner of the locker room from like, you know, six feet in on either side. It was those two guys, but they were never on the ice together unless the Bruins needed a goal with a minute left in a game. And other than that, but the two thirds of every hockey game, the opponents had to look at one of those two guys. And that is really the basis for the success of the Boston Bruins ever since Mark Savard's career was unfairly uh, and criminally derailed. um, That's really been the foundational aspect uh, basis of the Bruins. And now they go from having both of those guys this past season, last season, whatever you want to start calling it now. And, and, uh, and now, Nobody's talking about number 46, by the way. <laughs> that, that that situation has not officially got a bow on it. Wow. But um, for all of the speculation, there's been a lot of assumption, I think, tacit assumption, that Krejci's not coming back. And, uh, you know, it was a sad ending for both of those guys. Um, and, uh, you know, it would be pretty cool if, if Krejci did now. But who knows what will happen.
0: Uh, well, I think there's even a scenario with Krejci where – you know, maybe he starts the year not playing. Maybe he recognizes that 82 games is too much uh to play at this point. And and you know, he got he was banged up at the end of the year, uh, going down the stretch and in the playoffs. And, you know, a, as I've said several times on here, his family was living in South Carolina and he was away from his kids for you know weeks and months at a time. And his wife that's had to be incredibly difficult. So maybe. Maybe it becomes, you know, he sees where the Bruins are at around Christmas time and, you know, signs and, and comes on for the second half of the year. Maybe that is still a remote possibility if he doesn't decide to retire. And maybe that's something the Bruins can, you know, sort of hang their hat on or have hopes for. Kind of like they were hoping Bergeron was going to have second thoughts about retiring and, you know, get on out on the ice one time and say, oh, I'm, I miss it. I want to come back. But I. I, I think it's those are not
1: to leave the door open. no, of they, course. you, know, you got to you gotta do it. but at the same time,
0: uh, but but know, I think they're full steam ahead on whatever plan B is because they know that, you know, plan A for both of them is is likely not to happen. So what what's interesting is, you know, how much do we read into the way that Coyle and Zaka played in the Florida series when Bergeron and Cray were out as to, you know, what they might be capable of, uh, if they're given the reins as, you know, center one and center two to start this year, or, you know, how much do you feel like they need to make a move for another, you know, number one center, a legit number one center. That's going to be able to give you something of, you know, what Patrice Bergeron gave, even if nobody's ever going to fill those skates.
1: Yeah, tough question. Um, given the fact that they were so handcuffed to deal with it the year that they would need to do it the most. And uh uh as you've alluded on my prior appearances here, that the cap will go up next season. Yep. Uh, but this year the flat cap has got the Bruins in a situation where they and they were always going to slide Zaka over. Uh Hala, even though he was scratched the same night as Jake Debrusque. And he also picked up his game after that and really became a useful player for the Bruins and made him marketable in that deal for Zaka. And as the Bruins looking back at that infamous draft to pluck the number six overall pick, a guy who uh, had torched the Bruins in a couple of situations and impressed upon them. This guy's got some big boy hockey ability. He skates, he makes the rink look short he makes zones look short. Uh, Zaka can can pass the puck, he can shoot the puck, and so, you know, it, it, it was, if the formula could ever work for a guy one season to say, okay, you're going to spend your your season skating with David Krejci, and half the time you're going to be watching Patrice Bergeron, so you have, uh, you know, 40 minutes a game here where you're going to be getting going to school, and when that's over, I think it was always that we want to see Zaka's upside. They got him for this purpose. Sweeney loves his players who can play more than one position, but in particular, he was anticipating this scenario. Yeah. And uh, certainly the possibility thereof, and, and got Zaka with that in mind. Um, you know, I mean, it'd be nice if Matt Matthew Patra was a couple more years along. May You know, can he do it at 19 if you put him between Marcia and DeBrusque? Only Camp will, you know, tell us whether and or, or and then those nine fateful games, uh, whether or not that's a scenario we can uh, realistically hope for. But boy, could yeah. they use, they could sure use to have a have a Barry Peterson scenario like 81, 82 and have somebody pop like that and have an internal solution. That would be awesome.
0: It would be. I mean, I having watched Poitra at uh, development camp, I'm not sure that's quite where he is yet. Just you know, he wasn't dominant to the point where I, I'm going to give him top six minutes uh, at center on an NHL team. That's exactly what they need is for something like that to happen, because in, in the ideal world, I, I, as you're alluding to, I think Zaka is your number two center. You know, and you you it, Coyle would be ideally on a really good team, a number three center as he's been, you know, the last few years for the Bruins. Um rather than once you talk about Zaka number one, coil number two, or coil number one, Zaka number two, you're you're talking about at least one player is sort of playing up too far. From in, where the driver the,
1: in the driver there isn't isn't really to me whether you're whether you're one or two, as much as it is, is who your line mates, what's the right matchups, what's the yep. top six decks, how does it best work? I remember in, in the Julian era, you know, it didn't matter. Uh, who Bergie's line mates were because he knew he was going to get a great three zone, 200 foot game out of him, no matter what. So we had to make sure he took care of Savard, then take care of Krejci and yep. then Bergeron uh, gets what's ever left and, and gets his top nine minutes in his shutdown role. And uh, that obviously evolved as the, uh, you know, as the seasons went along and Bergie's role morphed into a much more of an ozone start guy. Um, and uh you know, it's it's uh, that's one like you're talking about doing a, a Patrice Bergeron retrospective today. To me, that's more his legacy than the Selkie legacy is that Bergeron has been able to continue improving himself in different ways and morphing his game to meet the needs of his team. You know, I remember he, he practicing that one timer, you know, yep. before pasta came along and Bergie's really trying to get that one timer down and and he wound up starting to do it. And, um, and it sort of became his role for a little while, but he perfected he the bumper yeah, position
0: though on the power play. He perfected that, you know, once he that honed in on that's what he was doing and the right. shot the shot from the bumper position became deadly and accurate and yeah. he would pick up pucks no matter what the pass or the puck that was coming at him and he would fire off a good sh- a shot that always surprised the goalie like it, it, man, your, this is, this is he this turned into a huge really weapon. Yeah. yeah he never
1: stops trying to figure out how to be better. Yep. So uh is going to have to do something with all that energy when he, <laughs> you know, has his convulsions and starts breathing the air of I'm not a hockey player anymore. Then he's going to have to start figuring out where to put all that.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> I, I, maybe he's going to run the marathon like Z he joked about that yesterday. Maybe that'll become something, <laughs> a, a short-term uh, goal for him, but God bless him. And I, you know, Getting back to what we were talking about with, with Zaka and uh Coyle, I, I am heartened to a degree by what I saw in the series against Florida. They had Florida on the ropes with those two as your top two centers. You know, they played well and they fit in with the wingers. And you know, both of them are good two-way players. The one thing about Zaka that concerns you is, you know, the face-offs and some of the other things that he's not even close to, you know, Bergeron level with. And you know, he'll have Chris Kelly and guys like that there to help him after sort of going to school and watching Bergeron and Krejci last year. But, you know, there's some level of encouragement that those guys could be able to handle it, at least for a little while. And, you know, at at some point, I don't know that this is going to happen in the summer. I don't know this is going to happen in training camp, but, you know, there are going to be centers available in trade. Uh, Elias Lindholm, Calgary Flames is most likely going to get moved, I would think, at some point. And his cap number is actually not that bad. Uh, no, it would be that, 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 makes that, him that so
1: attractive that that mother that's going to be a motherload of a compensation
0: of, of course and that's like like where the rubber meets the road for the bruins is do they have the assets to be able to make a deal like that and you know shifley's another guy obviously that's been mentioned a lot i, I don't know that he's necessarily a great fit because he's more of just a pure offensive number one center i don't know that he brings a lot of the two-way stuff that bergeron brings to the table and certainly you know, he's not kind of a leader like uh, I think he was one of the people that is part of this Winnipeg situation that has exasperated uh, bonus and uh, Paul Maurice before him. You well, know, that- that's
1: the problem is, is if you're not sure where what the where's the baby and where's the bathwater in Winnipeg, then you better steer clear and do it a different way. you got to yep. be real sure about the player you get.
0: Yep. And I, and I think that's where Lindholm seems to be a solid guy. If I. I my expectation would be that that's the number one guy the Bruins are going to look at if they wanted to trade for somebody from the outside or try to bring somebody in. Is that kind of a guy that's a pretty good two way player, good center, um, you know, can do things offensively and defensively, is on a good cap number right now. And, you know, seemingly is part of the veteran uh, contingent that seems to want out of Calgary. I look
1: at him as the forward uh, aspect of the defenseman that went from Arizona to Ottawa. Uh, You know that uh, that 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 kid, um, Chikrin, uh, that that he, uh, uh, you know, he was at such a favorable cap number that you knew that this trade ain't going to happen overnight, and whoever does it is going to is going to pay a king's ransom. And
0: yeah, uh, but Chikrin was signed to a longer term though. Uh, Lindholm, uh, Lindholm is going into the last year of his deal, I believe. So I think. Yeah. So, but then okay, so you're
1: going to pay a lot, and then you're going to risk it, or are you going to have? sort of agreement because it looks to me like there are a couple of deadline acquisitions in this past season where teams got assurances that they were going to be able to negotiate
0: yeah well taylor hall like was one of those two when the bruins traded for him you know i think the assumption was if things worked out they were going to sign him to an extension after that right uh and john and, and sweeney seems to do his due diligence with that stuff so I, I would assume all that is going to be sort of at least uh, put away to a degree before they would uh you make a significant move like that but you know they've also you know painted themselves into a corner by not having any first or second round picks until like 2026 and not having the greatest uh you know prospect system right now where the the top guys they're going to be relying on to come in and, and help them um getting back to Bergeron like what are your favorite moments uh from the time that you watched him i i appreciate the shout out to Brad boys back in the day he and boys and marco sturm were dynamite in those first couple of years together, uh, when they played. Well, the first, one. Uh, I mean, Ber- Louis- Bergeron had one of his best offensive seasons coming out of that uh, year in Providence. He had over 30 he goals did. and 70 and, points.
1: And I asked—I got a chance to ask uh, Sturm once, what was the difference? No, it was Brad Boys I asked. What was the difference between the hockey that you guys played as a line uh, with Sully in 05 06 and what happened in 06 07 with Louis? Where the plus minuses Bergeron had like the an aberration of minus that was yeah. put him here and at or near the bottom of the league to, to a point that that it probably eclipses all the minuses of his cumulative total of his life yeah. in that one season. And 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 uh, boys uh, told me that Dave Lewis wanted them to all spread out around the rink. Whereas their game was much more late 70s early 80s Bruins hockey where the passes were real short, actually Montgomery yeah. uh, very much coached it's a short short accessible uh, as Andy Brickley loves to say makes himself available kind of yep. passing outlets and this was sort of how the Bruins continued their their uh, kind of like the last play of a football game there's always somebody right there at to a lateral to and yep. uh, and this was um uh, kind of how they played under Sully uh, they that one Louie wanted to you try to capitalize on the, the two line pass rule and all of that. And, and it just completely backfired on them. They didn't have the uh, the team chemistry overall to cope with, especially on the defensive end. So
0: no, uh, I mean, when uh, you, you see, see Chicago, account, I don't think those guys had the wheels either,
1: because really no. boys is not, wasn't really a fast skater. Burgie 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 could, Burgie could, uh, he was a strong skater on the four check. But, but he wasn't the kind of guy whose speed was going to make up for anything. And, uh, as you know, so I, they were that, that line kind of got uh, chewed up under Louis because that was the wrong way to play.
0: Yeah, Stern, Stern brought the speed, I think, on that line when uh, when they did get going. He had pretty good speed. But, like, in general, I mean, Louis was a disaster anyway, right? We <laughs> we, we know that to be the case when he was pulling out basketballs at practice on off days in Carolina or wherever they were and having Savard and Chara, like, shoot baskets instead of working on the ice and, you know, the, uh, all the stuff that was going. on Chara had, had, was horrendous that first year. And I think it was a lot of guys that were trying to do too much, too. Well, that was what
1: Peter Shirelli said about Zidane Ochara, that that, that year, the first year, he was trying to do so much to live up to the new role he had yep. that that when Claude came in, he calmed all that down. And uh, and also, you know, I mean, he had a better team to work with, which allowed him to, you know, then they progressed, you know, kept tweaking, tweaking, personnel, personnel, and, and uh, got better as it went.
0: But, you know, there, there's so many instances with with Bergeron of, of you know, little snapshots of his greatness or times when you knew he was going to come through, whether it was, you know, th- that hat trick in the final regular season game a couple of years ago when he got to 400 career goals, when we weren't sure if he was coming back for another year and, and he still he managed to get it just in case. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, he came back for a following year. But, you know, you kind of just got that feeling as that game was going on that he's going to get it. Uh, right now uh, that the winter classic in Notre Dame when he you know kind of turned that game with a back check that uh, went down the puck then the puck goes down the other end and turns into a goal um, even other things you know the 2013 Stanley Cup final when he played through that game where he was basically in a car crash you know and and was would manage to make it through
1: yeah, that was a series, a string of injuries. It all started with a late hit by Michael Frolik. Bergeron had given up the puck. He was going toward the west end of the garden. So it's uh first or third period, but he had given up the puck and he was about ten feet, I guess, from the sideboards. And Frolik came in from like side, sort of behind, sort of beside, and caught him unawares, like a second leg, kind of a Trent McCleary hit. And and Bergie went, he just wasn't braced right for it. And he wound up getting his shoulder crunched and, on the, you know, against the dasher, against the kick plate. And, yep. uh, and now he's trying to protect that injury in the opposite corner of the rink, and he gets hit by Hosa, you know, and it just keeps going and going and going, and it just unraveled on him and the Bruins as they got Hosa back in that series in game four, and that was a pivotal game. and uh, But yeah, that was but the guts to it that he showed, like you say, um, at that's, that is uh, incredible. Um, you know, and I also think of, you know, he's going up against Crosby and in that series before that, uh, and, you know, and credit to Claude for acknowledging the reality of how close that series was, even though it went four games, first words out of his mouth at the podium, that was not a sweep. (laughs) And, uh, but, uh, really, um, uh, Tuca was what made that a sweep and, um, uh, but but Bergie going up against crosby and 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 taking on really hockey's premier forward and and uh and beating him I thought was pretty impressive I think of that I think of uh, uh you know even Taze you could tell that even though they won that 13 series, that winter classic at Notre Dame that time where Bergie scores that goal and Taze comes in from the side and gives him a real cross check in the ribs yeah Burgie just turns around and looks at him you know <laughs> you could just see that uh that there was definitely that these guys hated playing against Bergeron they hated it and she just would
0: drive them crazy yep but they respected them because they were all the same kind of players too you know it was like uh, that small sort of fraternity of Taves Crosby uh Bergeron guys like that that are very similar players the highest Kopitar. of competitors. Yeah.
1: Yeah. you know
0: yeah coppetar is another one too you know I, I, that that's You know, that that's a lot of the stuff uh, that's going to be missed uh, with him, uh, along with, you know, some of the great stories of his leadership. You know, like uh, the one I remember is Jamel Smith, who played three games with the Bruins, like came up on the waivers from uh, Dallas Stars. Uh, They had injuries. They need to bring a guy in, barely played with them. But just in that time, Bergeron, you know, picks up on something, you know not quite being right or feeling like something was wrong with him or, you know, he wasn't feeling great. Something was going on and he's just started talking to him about it. And it turned into Jamel Smith talking to Max uh, Offerberger and, you know, getting uh, some professional people to talk to because, you know, mentally he just wasn't feeling good. And they, that be, that's the kind of leadership that he had that goes above and beyond the rah-rah stuff. He was not a rah-rah guy for the most part. He got better at that. As he was and not in a in a you know theatrical way, but just in an effective way, as he got older, just sort of talking, being a leader, public speaking, you know, all that stuff. I think he got better at it as he was going on, which is certainly part of leadership. But his his genuine genuine care for people, even a guy that played three games and really wasn't around and had an, a lasting impact on that person's life. I mean, that kind of speaks to who he was beyond the ice and beyond uh, you know, all the accolades and the awards that he won.
1: Mm, yep. Yeah. I think of that I think of obviously the game seven shorty near the end of the second period in Vancouver um, oh yeah uh, that that's just uh sensing that opportunity while the well Pucks and the audacity of the Canucks
0: biting his finger right in the in game one too
1: <laughs> well <laughs> yeah you have your characters in this game and um <laughs> you know Mark Recchi certainly uh exploited that situation for all he could <laughs> he had the experience to understand that this is this is uh, this is currency. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it's just, um, you know, personal experience with Bergie, too. Uh, there was a uh, relationship I was in um, where I wound up having the closest thing I've ever had to a parental role in somebody's life. And it was a five-year-old who I pretty much indoctrinated into becoming a Bergeron fanatic. You know, I first explained to her that you know, Leah, this is where, see number 37, he's always in the middle, he's always in the circle, and she really became, really got really into it, and, and that year, and and uh, one of the things that happened in her elementary, her first grade, was the teacher <laughs> asked the children to please, you know, write down uh, somebody that you would like to meet. And uh, she wrote down Patrice Bergeron. The teacher collects the papers and says, "Who's Patrice Bergeron?" <laughs> and I granted, I, I get it. The the everything was Patriots and Red Sox at the time. <laughs> I know that. You know the freaking state house. You know puts out a banner in 2008. Go Celtics! You know, and the Bruins are <laughs> like, "Hey, we're over here!" You know. And, uh, I mean, it was always like that. Uh, you know, and until the Bruins won. Uh, they yeah. weren't treated with any fairness uh, by what I like to call the three sport media. Well, uh, the culture, you know, once the Patriots got really good, once the Red Sox broke through and that happened and we have a whole generation of people for whom those are the two big teams, um, you know, is really an uphill climb for the Bruins and the Celtics and the Celtics got there first, God bless them. And the Bruins found their way. And uh, Bergeron was so central to that. And, yep. and so um, you know, upon, you know, the teacher saying this and her having to explain to the teacher, you know, he plays for the Bruins. Um, I wound up talking to Bergie and tell him the story. And he agreed to meet her.
0: That's so awesome.
1: Early on in the sequel season, the 11-12 season, I brought her in. Now, their relationship we had broken up by this time. So that was terribly <laughs> awkward, but we followed through on it. And she got to meet Bergie and do the Facebook photos and all of that stuff. And, you know, and it's a great moment in her life to look back on. And, you know, from when she was like five years old or six years old. So I think she turned six that year. Um, so, uh, you know, it's it's just but he was the kind of guy who who just, you know, was so intuitive to just understand that this is. I never, I mean, to me, it's like a million years for my, uh, my brain to think, go bother this guy. Cause I grew up a fanatic, you know. I got Jerry Cheever's autograph in 1970, Bobby Yours that same year. Uh, yep. phone, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, you know, so for me, um, you know, once you're on the come over to the dark side and do what we do, we're we talking to these guys all the time and they become regular people to us. Yep. And so the first thing we think of is, is the, the thrill that other get reminded every once in a while, what a thrill it is for other people to meet them and enjoy that kind of vicariously, you know, to see that, you know, the joy that some people have and how nervous they are, you know, and and these guys are just trying to get through it and be nice because they generally are. They're the greatest guys ever. Hockey players are awesome. And uh, you know, so just being around Bergie for some of that stuff, and and just doing this one thing because, it, and it wasn't about me. It was very difficult for me to do actually given. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but thanks to Eric Tosi and and uh, for helping me with it. And, and uh, but Bergie, you know, he showed up after after practice one day and uh, met us in the concourse and uh, signed a few things and talked. And it was, it was that's him.
0: You know. Yep, yeah. that is. Absolutely, him, and I'm that doesn't surprise me at all because I, 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 all hockey players are good to deal with, right? I mean, almost all uniformly. Um, but like Bergeron and Marchand, especially, really seem to understand the impact they have on others and understand the responsibility that goes along with you know being the people that they are, the players that they are, sort of role models, like I. It was funny to me. I remember the, you know, the Bruins do those banner cab, those fan captains or whatever, not the playoff ones, but the little kids that go out on the ice with the players, uh, you know, during the starting lineup and the anthems and all that. Yeah, Uh, they've been doing that the last couple of years. And, you know, I remember I think this was a couple of years ago. I remembered watching it was towards the beginning of the year It was one of the first times they'd done it. And the kids started skating. You know, uh, sort of when they were getting ready to start the game, it looked like the kid didn't quite know what was going on, where to go. Oh
1: yeah, Just go around with the team like <laughs> yeah. Every- and
0: it, but, but you see Bergeron come over and Marchand and both take care of the kid, pat him on the head, say he did a great job, and kind of showing him where to go. Yeah, They just had the presence of mind to do that just intuitively as you're talking about, because they're good people and they yeah. understand not only that that's something that kid needed right there, but also that that's a memory that kid's going to have forever. Like he's probably going to remember more about that interaction with those two players than anything else that happened the whole time he was doing that thing, you know, and I think they Absolutely. interviewed him afterwards. And that's what he talked about was, you know, Bergeron and Marchand said hi to me and said, great job or whatever, you I know, know
1: yeah.
0: and they get that, like, they totally understand that. And, uh, you know, that kind of leads me into our last sort of topic here. Um, the next captain of the Boston Bruins, I really I feel know, like it know. has to be Brad Marchand. It has to, it absolutely
1: yeah. has to, you know, I've heard some Charlie McAvoy talking. I love Charlie McAvoy and I do think he's Captain Material, um, but down the road, but you, but you, you have Brad Martian He's been the deputy captain of this team since Chara retired. Yep. There's or, or since Chara left the Bruins, martian has yep. been the deputy captain, uh, as Bergeron was. And uh, and so there is no going forward without doing this. This is the best chance the Bruins have to carry on the right way, the team culture, the the winning legacy, the, everything about the era. Brad Meyer has Brad Marchand written all over it and, and he's proven himself. It's not that, well, if you don't do it, he's gonna be mad. No, it's no. got nothing to do with that. It's no. got to do with him being the right guy. And and this is a gimme. And uh, and for me, uh, I don't think there's any going forward. The only way this could possibly happen is if Brad Marshan was having trouble with with his uh injury and his comeback and and decided on himself that you know something we really need to get give this to Charlie or somebody or pasta or something because uh we need to uh I can't be that guy I want to be that guy but I can't be it would have to come from him otherwise yeah. it's him I want it to be him if I thought the Bruins and I didn't want it to be him I'd be wondering what happened to my head you know <laughs> so uh yeah it's got to be Marchand.
0: I think down the road you know three four years down the line uh Posternak and McAvoy, one of them will make a fine captain. And I, you know, I think those will be the two leaders of this team, uh, the two figureheads, the two faces of the franchise. But right now, Brad Marchand, you you are talking about one of the leaders uh, and one of, you know, the deputies for Patrice Bergeron that was a big vocal leader on this team you're also talking about now the you know Milan Lucic coming back that gives them another one but Martian is basically the last remnant of that 2011 Stanley Cup team mm-hmm. uh, that's actually won a day, anything in the playoffs you know like he's the he's the guy left that knows how to win has been to the mountaintop and knows how to get there not only that you're also talking about a guy that's probably going to be in the Hall of Fame as well you know he's, he's going to have the credentials for all of those things that that Patrice Bergeron has right. as well. It's very I easy,
1: mean in the shadow of Bergeron, uh it's very easy to overlook how impactful Brad Marshan has been these past several years and what that adds up to. Um and so um, you know, to me there's uh, if you're engaged and you've been following Marshan's career, then you gotta understand that this guy's the captain of the Bruins right now
0: hundred percent. I, I think, I mean, I, I think the decision's already been made to be honest with you. I'd be surprised it be. If, if it hasn't, uh, it's I just, it, yeah, there, I don't even think there's an argument to be made honestly for anybody else at this point. I think McAvoy and posture next day will come, but I'm not, it's not there right now. And I think to your point, well said, I, I think the best way to carry on the torch of Bergeron's legacy and in the culture of that Boston Bruins is for 63 to be uh, the next captain of the Boston Bruins for the next couple of years. Um, Mick, thank you for walking down memory lane with uh, about Patrice Bergeron. Uh, it's a tough week because we all love the guy. And, uh, you know, in this sport, we don't root for teams. We do root for individuals when we're sports uh, writers and sports reporters. And <laughs> Bergeron was a guy that was eminently uh, easy to root for because he was a humble, uh, caring person, thoughtful, you know, just a good human being in addition to being an outstanding role model as a hockey player. We love so, the game. Um, yeah, he, yep, loved he it.
1: did. And you could tell the way he played it; he loved it so much. And I remember his come his his year after that concussion, how the players in the summer were trying to get him off the ice, you know, because he'd spent so much time out there. Uh, you know, but that and that that translated. I think that affected yep. the Bruins, and I think that that helped the Bruins. And and that's going to be missed.
0: So thank you, Patrice Bergeron, for everything. I want to thank our sponsors really quick too: FanDuel Sportsbook, uh, the official exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Network, and also uh, Factor Meals, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, uh, ready in two minutes. Like I said, I ate the lunch today, Indian butter chicken. It was fantastic. Uh, so thank you, Factor Meals. Mick, thank you very much for being on again to talk about Burgie today. Uh, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you at the rink.